guys, my name is Eden Richardson. I'm the Discipleship Director here at First Baptist Church, Rock Hill. Thank you so much for tuning in to our sermon from this past Sunday. We are so excited for you to listen to this message and to hear what God is gonna do through your life as you listen. Uh, be sure to make sure that you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see all future messages as well. And thank you again for tuning in. You see on the screen today, we're going to be talking about the fact that as followers of Jesus, we have been saved from so much more than just hell. Now, uh, don't hear me wrong. I'm glad Jesus saves us from hell. He said a lot about hell. In fact, Jesus said more about hell than he said about heaven. And in the Gospels, listen, Jesus said more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And I know some people today don't want to believe in hell, but Jesus did because he knew it was real and he told us about it, so we need to listen to what he said. And one of the things he said about hell is the suffering there is forever and it's horrible. In fact, it's so bad that no one would choose to go there. On more than one occasion, Jesus talked about people being thrown into hell. Now, get that picture in your mind. People being thrown in to hell. You remember maybe being around a swimming pool and you're younger and, and your friend's over there and you sneak up on them and they don't want you to do it. They don't know you're going to do it, but you sneak up behind them and you give them a shove and they end up in the water. Anybody ever experienced that? That image kind of comes to mind that people being thrown into hell, which says they don't want it to happen. They don't want to go there. And yet Jesus said a lot of people will. And when he died on the cross, he saved us from all of that. But he saved us from more. And I think it's important for us to understand the more he saved us from, not just the hell he saved us from. Because some people get so focused on being saved from hell that they say, well, you know, I'm saved. I, I, I've got my fire insurance, so I don't have to worry when I die. I know I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. So how I live, you know, I can be kind of so-so in my Christian life. It becomes a, an excuse, a justification at times to not take seriously living a godly life, walking in obedience to Jesus because, hey, it's going to be okay when I die. I've got my fire insurance. But Jesus saved you from more than just hell. And once you understand the more he saved you from, you can never have that lackadaisical attitude about living for Christ. So I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. In a couple of weeks, you'll be reading Galatians in our Bible reading plan in D group. So I want to get a jump start on it. Galatians, chapter 1. This morning, we're going to look briefly at how Jesus saves us and then spend more time on what he saves us from, on the fact that Jesus saves us from more than just hell. I want us to read Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. Let me see your copy of God's Word. Hold it up high. Come on, hold it up. Everybody get it up. Thank you so much. Always bring the Bible with you to worship. Galatians chapter 1. Now in verse 3, he's talking about God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 4 is referring to Jesus. Verse 4 says, Jesus who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. And this is where you might expect it to say from hell, but it doesn't. He gave himself 
for our sins so that he might rescue us, notice this, from this present evil age. From this present evil age. Don't skip over that. Really important. Did Jesus rescue us from hell? Yes. From the grave? Yes. From spiritual lostness? Yes. But this verse says he also rescued us from this present evil age. I want to build up to that last part. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus gave or donated his earthly life so we could have eternal life. He gave, he donated his earthly life, his earthly body, so we could have eternal life. It begins by saying he gave himself, meaning it was a choice. It was voluntary, not something forced on him, not something another person made him do, not something that accidentally happened to him. But in love, Jesus voluntarily chose to give himself for you and me. In John's gospel, chapter 10, Jesus is speaking about himself. And he says of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A few verses later in verse 18 of that same chapter, referring to his life, he said, no one has taken it away. No one's taken my life away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. He said, I chose to do this. It was an act of love an act of grace, an act of mercy. He gave his body, his life, so that you could live forever. He rescued you from an eternity without God, an eternity in hell, and gave his life for that as an act of love. Back in 1950, Gordon Craig was a a 21-year-old corporal in the U.S. Army fighting in Korea. And his unit was pinned down by a machine gun up on the hill. So he and four other soldiers made their way up the hill to take out that machine gun. And as they were doing so, an enemy soldier threw a hand grenade. And instantly, this 21-year-old Gordon Craig threw his body on top of that hand grenade, absorbing the blow. And he died. But he saved his four friends. few months later, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his sacrifice. Jesus did so much more than die for four friends. Jesus said, what is love? Is that another person lays down his life for his enemies? Jesus didn't die for four friends. He died for billions and billions and billions and billions of enemies. For every man and woman, teenager that's ever lived, that ever will live, and that's in this room alive today. We've all sinned. There's not a one of us at times that hasn't ignored Jesus, lied to Jesus, disobeyed Jesus, broken promises to Jesus, did things he said don't do, failed to do what he told us to do. We're all sinners, and sin puts us at enmity with God. We didn't take the initiative. He did. He gave himself. He laid down his life of his own initiative for everyone. And that's the first thing I want you to see about being saved, about being rescued, is you didn't do it. 
He did it. He rescued you. He saved you by giving himself in your place. Second thing, Jesus took our hell so we could have his heaven. Jesus took our hell so we could have his heaven. That verse 4 says, he gave himself for our sins. For our sins. The word for there means on behalf of. It has the idea of being a substitute. And what happened on the cross, Jesus gave himself voluntarily and in love to become a substitute for your sin. Rather than you being punished for your sin in his earthly body, he hung on the cross being punished in your place for your sins as your substitute. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 at the end of that verse, we're told that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The law of God, you break our nation's law, you break this state's law, you break law one time, one law, and you're a criminal. We've all sinned multiple times, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sins, breaking the laws of God. We are criminals in the eyes of God. We are sinners. And there's the curse of the law. We can't obey it all the time. We don't obey it all the time. And there's punishment because we're lawbreakers. And on the cross, Jesus became that curse in your place. All of your guilt... Put on him as he substituted himself for you on that cross. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And I want you to think about all the, 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 the joy you feel and the, the freedom. You, you remember when you first got saved? You remember when you felt so bad or so guilty or so convicted and you, and you poured out your heart to God and, and you confessed it and you were forgiven and you were cleansed. And you remember how good that feels? It's because all the junk made you feel that way was put on his body on the cross. All the comfort you feel knowing that the grave is not your final destiny is because your death was placed on his body on that cross. The, the, the excitement that you're not going to experience hell because on that cross, he experienced hell and separation from God for those three hours as the sky turned black and all of humanity's sin was dumped on his body. That's what Jesus did for you because he loves you. And so when we quote John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's what we're talking about. The next time you stand and sing that old song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that's what we're talking about. He experienced our hell so we could have his heaven. Number three, Jesus rescued us while we were helpless to rescue ourselves. 
He rescued us while we had no capacity for rescuing ourselves. Verse 4, he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. The word translated rescue there means to pick something up, to take it out of where it is and move it someplace different, someplace new. And that's what Jesus did for you. He rescued you. He picked you up. He took you out of your sinful condition, your brokenness in terms of your relationship with God, out of that grave and out of hell. He took you up out of your guilt. And he moved you into a place of forgiveness, into a place of healing, in a place of relationship with God. In a, in a new, he, he took you from, from a destiny of hell to the destiny of heaven. That's what it means when he rescued you. When he rescued you from hell. And you were helpless. You were powerless to do that for yourself. You needed someone to rescue. How many of you as parents have ever watched your kids and you know if they keep doing what they're doing, they're going to get hurt, right? You can see it when they can't. Part of that is the human brain does not fully develop until you're in your mid to late 20s. So teenagers and college students, you need to hear that. Your brain, doesn't matter how smart you think you are, you're going to get smarter. Because your brain is not fully developed. It is scientifically, physically impossible for your 17-year-old or 23-year-old brain to be fully developed. That's the reason younger people take more risk. But sometimes as parents, we can see it, right? They can't, but we can. How many of you parents have ever done this? You're with your kids and all of a sudden, you ever done that? Huh? And they don't know why you did it until later. That's Jesus in you. Rescuing you. And saving you. Because you can't, you don't see it. Many don't even know they need rescuing. Don't realize how helpless and powerless they are to rescue themselves. You remember that story from a little over a decade ago, 2010, down in Chile, in South America? Those 33 miners trapped in that collapsed copper mine more than 2,000 feet below the ground? No way in, no way out because of the collapse. No one knowing if they're alive or not. Until several days later when a, a borehole is drilled and a listening equipment is sent down and they can hear they're alive and they're able to start sending food and medicine and communication and, and, it, and, and it took just over two months of them being trapped with no way of escape for a larger hole to be drilled down to where they were in line encased in metal and, and, and a contraption created that was lowered by a crane down to where they were and one by one by one by one those 33 miners were rescued. Without the people on the surface doing everything they could to rescue them, all 33 would have died. 
They had no ability to save themselves, no escape, no way to get out. Nothing, nothing, nothing they could have done would have saved themselves. And that's you. That's me when it comes to our sin. I can't save myself from that. You can't save yourself from the grave. You can't keep yourself from hell. You need someone to rescue you. That's what Jesus did. He rescued you. But he did so much more than simply rescue you from your sin and from death and from hell. Notice that verse. He gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. He rescued us from an allegiance, if you will. He freed us from an allegiance to a world of sinful corruption and destruction. What does it really mean when he says he rescued us from this present evil age? From means out of. He rescued us out of it. Well, what does that look like? Present. This present evil age. That word literally means to, to stand in, to sit in, to be in. In other words, we stand in, we live in, we exist in this present evil age. And he's rescued us out of it. What does that look like? The Bible often talks about life and history in terms of, 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 of two kingdoms, two worlds, two ages, two realms, two domains. There's this one and there's the future one. There's the earthly and the, the fleshly and there's the spiritual and the, and, and the heavenly. There's the, the sinful and the corrupt and the dying, and there's the holy and the pure and, 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 and the glorious one. There's, there's Satan's, his domain. There's the devil, the evil one's domain. And there's God, there's God's kingdom. And this present, evil, sinful, corrupt world, the Bible teaches, this age is in the grip of the evil one himself, of Satan, the devil. Whether you think he exists or not, the Bible says he does, and this age is in his grip. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 the disciple of Jesus named John wrote this. He said, we know that we are of God and that the world, this age, lies in the power of the evil one. This world 
lies in the power of the evil one. The word translated lies in is used to describe a baby being held in his mother's arms. It's used to describe a grave in which a body is placed. This present evil age It's as though it's held in the arms of Satan himself. It's as though there's a grave he dug and he's putting this world in it. It's the reason the Bible calls him the power, the prince of the power of this air. He's got influence where this this culture is constantly in his grip, under his influence. And he wants his influence. He wants sin and evil's influence to spread to everyone and everything, every person and every institution, every entity in our culture. The Bible says it's this present evil age. there's, There's different words in the Greek New Testament for evil in our English language, different Greek words. And the one used here is poneros. Poneros. And it has a broad meaning. It means more than just the deed or the action that is evil in and of itself. It means that. That is an evil thing to do. That is a bad thing to do. It means that, but it means more than that. This word poneros means the evil deed, the evil that is done, plus all the pain that it brings with it. All the corruption, all the destruction, all the damage, the evil itself, the deed itself that is evil, plus all that it causes. But that's not all. There's another plus. It means something in addition. It's the deed that is evil, the damage that it does, the pain that it causes, plus the fact that this evil, this deed that that causes pain and hurts and death and ruin, gradually slowly spreads, touching everything and everyone it can. That's what that word means, this present evil age. I think about the English word insidious. It's a good word. We don't use it much because it's a bad word. Not in the sense of cussing, but it's a bad word because Insidious comes from the Latin word for ambush. Sin and evil are insidious. They sneak up on you. You you don't realize that the things you're doing today, what it might lead to tomorrow, nobody who's an alcoholic, when they started drinking, wanted to be an alcoholic. No one who is an addict, when they started drugs, wanted to be an addict. The truth is sin is insidious as it's evil and it hurts and it spreads and it kind of sneaks up on you and ambushes you because today you don't realize tomorrow. That's the way this world works. It's like the frog in the kettle. The water is cold and you're very slowly heated up. And he doesn't jump out because he, as the, as the water gradually gets hotter, he, he gets used to it because it warms up gradually until he's 
cooked alive, so to speak. That's sin. That's this culture. That's this evil age. It's insidious. It's like cancer. I mentioned in previous sermons my 84-year-old cousin Charles who lived in Louisville. And a few months ago, after battling cancer, was given a clean bill of health. No cancer, no cancer, clean. A couple of weeks ago, he goes to the hospital with a flu. They do a chest X-ray and say, man, there's spots all over your lungs. They did not know he was eaten up. And in two weeks, he's dead. I'll fly to Kentucky tomorrow to preach his funeral Tuesday morning. Cancer is insidious. You can be dying with it not knowing you have it. It's an insidious, evil disease. That's what sin is. As it spreads in this culture, in this age, in this world, trying to touch every person it can, every institution it can, every cause it can, every phase of life it can touch. That's the world in which we live. We stand in, we sit in, we live in this world. So, in more recent days, a man thinks he's a woman. And because he thinks he's a woman, he feels he has the right to compete against biological women in athletic events. And seemingly intelligent people say, yeah, that's right. While institutions of higher learning promote it and discipline anyone who opposes it. And the media often joins the chorus singing the lies of the evil one until a lot of people are ruined. Jesus, talking about the evil one, talking about Satan, his own words. In John 8, 44, Jesus said, he was talking to a group of people one day, and, and he said, you are of your father, the devil. Now, they didn't think of themselves that way. They would have said, no, we're not. But Jesus said, yes, you are. You're of your father, the devil, even if you don't know it. And you want to do the desires of your father. No, that's what I want to do. No, that's what your father, the devil, wants. You just don't know it. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there's no truth in him. And referring to the evil one, Jesus said, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so as this evil age rolls on, Satan sits back and grins as person after person, institution after institution, believes his lies. So much so that common sense is ignored. And do you remember when Satan tempted Jesus? He quoted scripture. 
quoted it incorrectly. He twisted it, distorted it. And one of the tactics in this evil age is to take a small nugget of truth and wrap around it a whole lot of lies and people are deceived by the small nugget of truth so that they believe the big lies wrapped around it. And they're deceived. And that's what he wants. Until you wake up one day and realize how bad it really is. This evil age in which we stand, but by the way, we don't belong to it. Because when you gave your life to Jesus, he rescued you from this evil age and he put you in his kingdom. And even though you live with your feet in this world, you are citizens of his kingdom. You are members of his family. He got you out of this one. And he puts you in a new place. You're his child. And this age doesn't like that one. This evil world is hostile to God's kingdom. Hostile to God's truth. Hostile to God's standards of right and wrong. Hostile to the idea of repentance and if you don't repent, you'll perish. Hostile to the idea that there's only one way to the Father in heaven and it's Jesus. And if you follow him and you serve his kingdom, this age will not always like you. And they want you to adopt their worldview and values. Adopt their priorities and way of thinking. But the Bible says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You think differently. Why? You're a citizen of a different age and a different kingdom. And you believe the truth of God, not the lies of the evil one. Now, you're not in his grip. If you know Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're not being rocked in the arms of Satan. But hear me, he's doing everything he can to influence you and mess you up. And so he will tempt you. He will intimidate you. He will try to be persuasive and win you over. He will buy you. By giving you what you want. But you, you, you would be wise to remember. Jesus said, what does it profit a man or a person to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Don't let him buy you for something that doesn't last. Jesus said, in John's gospel that you and I, his, his followers, we are in this world, but we are not of it. We're of the other one. He rescued us from this one, and we're now citizens of his, so we should live like it. I want you to say that with me. In it, not of it. Can you say that? Let's have a little fun. This side of the room, you're in it. This side of the room, you're not of it. 
Let's see who can be more boisterous. You ready? It's a whole lot more fun to say not of it. <laughs> but let's do it in unison, okay? Because if you're a follower of Christ, yes, your feet are in this world, but you're not of it. So let's all together say in it, not of it. You ready? That's you if you know Jesus, so live like it. Be persuaded by his truth. Love his word. Value the things that his kingdom says are valuable. Give your heart to him and to his kingdom. You're in it, but you're not of it. In fact, James and John both said to love the world is to put yourself in a place of opposition to, to be an enemy of God. We've been rescued from this evil age and given a new citizenship in God's kingdom. We have a new nature, a spiritual nature. We have a new worldview. We have new wants and desires, new wisdom and direction for living, a new power that comes from the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. We have new relationships with the Lord himself and with other believers in Christ. So my question is, has Jesus rescued you? Has he rescued you from hell? From the grave? Have you trusted him? Have you committed your life to him? Have you become a follower of Jesus? Have you asked him to save you and given yourself fully to him so he could rescue you from hell? And if he has if he has rescued you from hell, are you cooperating with him to let him rescue from this world in which you live so that you might, even though you are here, live like a citizen of his kingdom? Are you letting him rescue you from this evil present age? You know, um, you, you hear stories from time to time of somebody who was drowning. person jumped in the water to save them, to rescue them. And the drowning victim was saved, but the rescuer drowned. Do you know why lifeguards and others, when they try to save someone, they, they usually carry that orange buoy, that orange flotation device? It's not to save the victim, it's to save themselves. Because when people are drowning, especially if they are adults, they panic and they fight and they resist. And so they're, they're just grabbing for anything to hold on to. And when the lifeguard comes over, they will grab hold and they will push down. They will fight. And that's exactly what some of you are doing with Jesus right now. You're drowning. You're drowning in this culture. You're drowning in this evil age. You're drowning in this world. And Jesus is trying to rescue you. And what are you doing? You're fighting him. You're pushing down. You're pushing away. But here's the thing. Jesus will, will never drown. If you fight him, if you push him down, if you push him away, you are the one that will drown. If he's rescued you from hell, 
Stop fighting him and let him rescue you from this present evil age because your life can be different if you just stop fighting. So stop it. Stop it. Stop fighting Jesus. Just lay back and rest in his arms. Let him rescue you. Let him save you. Let him give you a new life, new attitude, new heart. Will you do that right now? We're going to stand and Hunter will lead us in singing a song. And this is a time when we say, Jesus, I'm not fighting you anymore. Pastors are going to be here. If you need to be rescued from hell, come to a pastor and say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I want to be saved. I need to be rescued. Because if I die right now, I'm going to hell. And I want Jesus to rescue me, to save me. And one of these pastors will lead you in a prayer of commitment to Jesus so you can be rescued from hell. Some of you have been rescued from hell, but you're still fighting Jesus when it comes to living this Christian life. When it comes to being rescued from this present evil age, you're fighting Jesus. Why? Why? Stop it. Let him rescue you. You you will never regret Jesus rescuing you. Never. Come and kneel at this altar and say, Jesus, rescue me. I'm not fighting you anymore. Not fighting you anymore. If you've been fighting being baptized, stop it. Come to a pastor and say, I need to be baptized. If you've been fighting joining this church, stop it. Commit yourself and join the church. Let's stand. Come to the altar. Come to a pastor. As we sing, make your way quickly. Right now, right now, right now.